2: everywhere we go people want to know who we are and where we come from so who are you and where do you come from
3: i am jennifer carroll and i am from talla dublin
2: and are you, do you, you're jen or are you jennifer jen jen yeah. okay Only Jen,
3: jennifer when someone's annoyed at me okay
2: <laughs> <laughs> so jen you are one of the biggest stars the irish stars on instagram you're like oh, but you are you have a massive following on instagram and what is the, the instagram about tell me about that first
3: so the Instagram is, it kind of started out as a weight loss journey page. So I was starting at the beginning of a weight loss journey and I would share my weight losses every week and then share my meals, start to introduce a little bit of fitness into it It just kind of grew from there. Now it's just more recipe based and um, not so much on the weight loss. I kind of got to comfortable place I suppose with my weight and I wasn't so focused on the losses so it's just recipes that have you know the breakdown of calories step-by-step recipe ingredients and I think the reason that I even have a big following because I'm I always say and I'm terrible percent of like my page is quite boring I think it's just it's convenient it's helpful and I'm quite consistent with it so like I'll always be posting recipes I feel like people are always going to be tracking calories and food Mm -hmm. so it's always helpful for people it's definitely not the most exciting pitch
2: but I think it's also the fact that you're very genuine on it do you know what I mean
3: yeah I mean people say that a lot which I think is nice you know you're very similar in person than you are online um and I shared a lot as well about post weight loss so I had surgery so I had mm-hmm. all skin removal surgery and um, I still have a couple to go they were kind of postponed due to COVID but um that kind of got me a big, a a new big audience, I suppose, because it's something that's very different in Mm. Ireland. There was a lot of those pages out there in the UK, America, Australia, but even before I went for my surgery, I found it really hard to research the kind of surgery that I wanted. So... I was kind of in two minds if I would share it because like mm. it is quite personal and I felt very vulnerable putting certain pictures out there but I just kind of thought you know majority of the people that are following me are on weight loss journeys themselves and so many people had reached out to say that they'd also be looking to get that kind mm. of surgery so I just decided to be open with it and that actually got me quite a big following I think I got um that was one of my biggest I was like 10,000 followers really? in like five days or something after my very first surgery it was massive like I went up huge and my followers and that was a little bit scary because mm-hmm. I was like oh god but the like amount of people I had reached out to me afterwards about the surgery and even the surgeon at the time that was like I went through the evoca, mm. and the surgeon that did my first one was like the surgery I performed on you he said I never perform a Fleur de Lis. Like, it's quite rare because it's usually massive weight loss. And he was. What like, is it? So, the Fleur de Lis is, is. So, a standard tummy tuck would be, you know, kind of gone from your hip to your hip. Like, a long c-section scar basically and they pull the skin down but because I'd lost 12 stone I obviously had a lot of excess skin and I unfortunately was just someone that had a massive amount of skin so it's basically like an upside down capital T so they go from hip to hip and then they go up the center of your stomach right between your breasts so the scar is quite big Mm -hmm. but it's just a line um, and that's so that they can pull the skin down and also in and, like, I had that done and they were like, there's still a lot of skin. Like, we're going to have to redo that in a year or two because you just have so much excess skin. So I remember the surgeon saying that to me. He's like, I never performed this. And then he was, like, booked out for six months or something after that. Because loads of people reached out and they were like, I didn't even know that this was a thing. Like, I didn't mm. know it was possible in Ireland. I think a lot of people as well go abroad and they would hear of that. But they were like, I didn't even know that you could get these kind of surgeries like in the evoca i think when people thought the evoca they think of like breast implants yeah or, you know that yeah. kind of stuff a nose job or those kind of surgeries they were like i didn't realize you could get and then i had the skin removed from my arms which i shared and then i'll be getting my legs done at the end of the year on my back so
2: what does it feel like with 12 stone loss like what does that do for you
3: It's crazy. Like, I remember when I first lost, when I got to the 12 stone, I think it was actually when I lost my 10 stone award. My mom is tiny, like she's four foot 10 or four foot 11. I remember she was like, like, you've lost me. (laughs) She's like, like, imagine like you carrying me around constantly on your shoulders. Obviously, it doesn't feel like that, but I think it's the difference of like the quality of life. Do You know, the kind of Mm. way like I do train, like I've been really consistent and dedicated with the gym and I go five days a week. And I remember when I first started uh, back to basics. I started a PT, and on my very first day, Sean was like, "You know, we're just going to see what you can do. Like, you don't have to do the program that we're doing. I just want to see what you're capable of." And I, I think it was a lunge he got me to do, and I tried to go down the lunge, and like I just fell to the side. Oh <laughs> I, was like, I couldn't even do it. I just had Ooh. never exercised at all, and um, I remember months and months down the line. When I was getting stronger, he was like, but you have to like look at the positives. He's like, you were carrying all that extra weight around. He's like, like you are so strong now, like Mm. your muscle that you would have built up from carrying, you know, the last 20 years, that extra like 12 stone on you. So it's, it's just little things. Like I feel like people that have lost a lot of weight would say, do you know, just walk, going out walking and, and like not feeling kind of breathless and being able to get up in the morning and start my day. What like, intense exercise. Mm. Like, I never imagined that I'd be someone that would be like that or that would enjoy doing that kind Mm. of stuff. But I just love that. And I remember the first time I went um, down to, like, the park beside my house, like, with Carter my little boy on a bike. And I was like, you know, just cycling or just running down the field with a football. Like, so many little things that you'd never think of. Mm. That obviously I could have done when I was bigger, but I was a very, very self-conscious big person. Like, I was far too self-conscious I had no self-esteem so I wouldn't have done those things Mm -hmm. and I think that was one of the big pushes was having Carter because I was like this is going to affect his life do you Mm -hmm. know like I'm going to hold him back because I hold myself back so that was kind of the big push I suppose
2: it's mad and I wonder if that's um where other people in other situations and that are going to Turkey to get this weight loss surgery done um, and i wonder that is that why and i know my friend of mine has done it and she she's a son as well and she's done it for her son
1: mm. but i
2: do ha- like do you have an opinion on what's happening with so many people going to turkey because i do yeah. and like i just think people are, i don't think people are crazy because yeah. i but I, I think it's very dangerous and i i know that people say it's easy way out i know it's absolutely not the yeah. easy way out because when they they can't eat when they come back yeah. or and it's it's crazy. So that's my opinion. I feel it's it's very dangerous.
3: Yeah. It's I mean it's a hard one. I don't I wouldn't say I have an opinion on it in such like it's it's not so black and white. Like you're like it's hard to say. I did inquire about weight loss surgery when I lived in I lived in London for nine years and before I had my little boy, I was in a place where I just I was desperate. I felt like I had tried everything. I felt like I had no option And I just was like, I'm putting myself into an early grave. And, you know, it's either do that or risk the weight loss surgery. Now, I was in London, so it was covered by the NHS, I think, when you fall into a certain Mm -hmm. BMI category. But there was a waiting list. Um, So I think maybe I felt a little bit safer because I was technically having it done at home in London. Mm -hmm. But with the going abroad, it's... For me personally, I just, it was just my non-negotiable. I just wanted it done in Ireland. Mm -hmm. It's twice the price in Ireland. Like the money is crazy, but I was just absolutely terrified of traveling. Mm -hmm. And even after having the surgeries, like, I don't know how people travel (laughs) after those surgeries, Mm -hmm. like, fair play to them. And then I had discussed it a lot with surgeons over here. And the surgeons here would have quite a strong opinion on how safe it is getting it done mm-hmm. abroad and I know my my surgeon Cormac he has seen and worked on so many people that he's had to do you know corrective surgery yeah. him, and they've always had it done abroad so now that would be kind of skin removal and stuff like mm-hmm. that the weight loss surgery um I know a lot of people do go abroad for that. I have a few friends that have done it I think when I went to the doctor in England and he told me my options now I knew there was a waiting list I was like I'm going to take some time and think about it and the more I thought about it, for me, I was like, my issue is emotionally and, and my issue is binge eating. Mm-hmm. I comfort binge and I secretly. I said, I can go and get a surgery where I physically can't do it, but I'm not working on my head you know mm-hmm. what I need yeah. to be working on I said I need to look at me and what I'm doing and fix like get my head sorted rather than physically stopping myself because I know people friends that have had it done mm. and then gained the way back over the years and obviously that's not to say everyone does I've seen so many people I follow people that have had like incredible results and there's a lot of hard work like you said it's not an easy way out there's a lot of hard work that goes into it but I think I was just so worried that i would do it but i wouldn't change or fix anything in my mind and i Mm -hmm. was like no if if i do it, i think i need to do it where i change everything and it's not just the surgery
2: and that's where you are today yeah you said something there about self-esteem so and the main reason i wanted to talk to you today was because on your page you are as i said you're very genuine you're very honest and you do open up about your past um and in your past there was domestic violence and some relationship problems is that the words we would say um so do you want to from the very beginning of that do you want to start there
3: yeah Mm -hmm. So I, the first time I opened up on social media about the domestic violence was I was actually doing a takeover on a page and they just wanted to know about my whole journey. Do you know your weight loss journey from the start and how it started? And I'd never really shared, you know, from when I started. I just kind of was like, I was in London for nine years and when I moved home and started losing weight. But I remember this time when I was telling it, I just felt like it's I can't tell the story in complete honesty without kind of opening up a little bit about my past because that really was the kind of trick, like the starting point of the weight loss journey. And it was, so I'd been in a relationship for a few years and then I fell pregnant when I was in my third year of uni. So I was studying drama over in London and in my third year we fell pregnant and I decided that I would postpone uni, like I'd finish it the following year and we'd go through with the pregnancy And it was during the pregnancy was when the domestic violence started. So... Can I stop you? Yeah.
2: So from the beginning, how long were you with him? Where did you meet him? Okay. Mm -hmm.
3: So I used to, before I started uni, I used to manage um, like a children's boutique. It was like a children's boutique and health centre. um, And like a really posh part of London. And I had hired somebody um new to start and we became really great friends and it was through him so it was his friend that's how we met we just kind of were a group of friends we all started hanging out I think I was 21 maybe 22 at the time and we started kind of just friends for a couple of years maybe like a year or so and then we were casually dating and then we kind of got more serious and we were living together and it was I was 26 when I got pregnant with character so I had started uni, he'd started uni the year after me, um, in a different uh, college, and then we, I can't remember, oh yeah, we were living at mine, sorry, <laughs> so we were living at mine, and he had his own apartment, but we were kind of staying at my place, then when I fell pregnant, I house shared with a couple of girls, so we were like, it makes more sense to obviously with the baby, go into your apartment, so we moved into his apartment, And it was literally the day that we moved in. The first day that we moved in was the first time that he was physically abusive with me. And I remember just thinking, like, oh my God, like, this is my life now. I was about four months pregnant, I think. And um, he had been, he'd started drinking. So he was drinking quite heavily um, for maybe like a couple of months. I think it was just the stress of the situation we got ourselves into and um, he had kind of turned to alcohol and he'd relied on that and but it was getting to the point where it was you know midweek he was drinking and stuff like that and the day that we moved in together he was like really really hung over and it was an argument we had over the move and you know the man with the van mm-hmm. he wasn't really helpful and I can't remember how the argument started I just remember we had unpacked everything in the sitting room and he was like frustrated because there was just stuff everywhere and he kind of pushed me and when I fell over I remember knocking over like uh you know earbuds the Mm -hmm. pack of earbuds everywhere and I was just in shock and I remember just staring at them and then he left the room and I was expecting him to come back in to be like oh god like sorry and he just came in with like a dustbrand and brush and was like clean up and then he left the room again and then later on he came in and apologized but I just always remember that moment of like on the ground just being like Incomplete shocked you know like as in shit is this the start of it you know like you hear about those kind of situations so much and then you're I used to always do this thing where every time he did something it would get a little bit worse or a little bit and I'd be like this would be my first really serious relationship where I was like am I being over the top like am I being dramatic is this normal you know maybe I don't know like it it was just a heated moment and that was it like I wouldn't say like I wouldn't even use the term domestic violence for like a year or two because I would just be like no my situation isn't bad enough it's and like when I look back on it like it was awful it was like the worst kind of because it was all forms of abuse as well and I would be like oh maybe I'm just being dramatic and you're terrified I think to open up or admit about it because I remember I never wanted to tell a friend because deep down I knew that their reaction would be, Jen, like, get out of there. And then the other one is I didn't want to, like, take not take away from other people, but, you know, people that have been in those situations where they've ended tragically or, you know, it's been awful. I'd be like, I don't want to say I'm in that situation because mine isn't that bad. Like, it's only really when he drinks or it's only, you know, I would downplay mm. it so much to myself because I was too scared to... I suppose I was just scared to admit to myself like it's a hard thing to come to terms Mm -hmm. with you know that you're in that situation and to come out and say even to yourself like it's abuse so I think for like a long time I just kind of went with it and I was also in London Mm -hmm. pretending to like my family at home and my friends at home that like my life was great and obviously when I first got pregnant it was such a shock like it was not planned and it wasn't where I'd seen my life go so I think my whole life I always felt a little bit of a disappointment or a letdown because of my size because I struggled so much with that and I was always just really overweight I never had like I said a lot of confidence even when I was training over there um for uni I stopped applying for uni for a while and just kind of got a job in that shop and I just felt like my life was a bit of a standstill and I just used to always feel a little bit self-conscious of that stuff Mm -hmm. so then to then be in this situation I felt more embarrassed because I was like I'm so pathetic you know like I can't get anything right and I didn't want to obviously worry people at home and then I didn't want other people at home thinking like god what has she done like she's gone so downhill and Mm -hmm. you know like she's wrecked her life so there was kind of a lot of like stuff like that that I would worry about and The kind of trapped feeling like I knew I wasn't going to get away from London, especially now that I was pregnant. So what was the point in telling people at home and just, you know, have them worry.
2: And from the first time that he did that, I I know from talking to others how quickly it escalates.
3: Yeah, because I like you think, you know, one because there was one incident before I was pregnant where I think he'd like threw a sock at my head and I kind of laughed at it but he did it out of temper do you know what I mean but at the time it was just like a ball of socks thing Mm. and he kind of threw it at my head and at the time I laughed because I was like okay like whatever Mm. but like looking back it was aggression do you know that way and then like the things that I would have noticed but didn't really notice, do you know, like the possessiveness and the like constant bombarding me, do you know, checking where I am, all of that stuff. Like, and it's really cliche to say, but especially because it was my first serious relationship, like a lot of it I was, do you know, mm. he's mad about me. Yeah. Do you know that kind of thing? And like I thought he was gorgeous. So the fact that he was even, do you know, worrying me or doing stuff like that, I'd be thinking, okay. You know, he's obviously just worried. But then it would be things like when he was out, like I'd hear nothing from him, mm-hmm. you know, or like, I, but I wouldn't be texting him as much. But if I did text him or ring him, you he wouldn't hear it and back. But if I was to leave it, you know, half an hour without replying, like the way that he would speak to me, the tone that he would speak to me, and I would just kind of be like, oh, he can be a bit, you know, over the top or whatever. But all those little things, at the time I turned a blind eye to, looking back, like, were so obvious like such big kind of red, red flags, flags. Yeah. and then like I said like the day that I moved in it like it just blew up so quickly do you know what I mean like they I don't know if it's the same in every situation but whether because my reaction was so shocked and just kept it to myself or whatever maybe that then he was like do you know mm. I can do this again or you know when he was angry he knew the reaction or the response he would get from me when he did it which wasn't very much you know mm-hmm. that kind of a way so I think that's probably why it escalated so quickly but I mean I don't know I think a lot of it did like and I'm not an excuse a lot of it would have to do with alcohol because for the first um for a long time it was only when he'd had alcohol do you know like when he was either drunk or had had alcohol recently so I always put it down to that do you know like oh it's just he needs to go up off the drink and then he'll be grand he'll be grand
2: it's crazy yeah tell me um, Jen but for like did friends and family especially did they meet him yeah and what was their opinions before all of this before happened before
3: all of it um, I mean family it was grand because you know they're on their best behaviour when <laughs> when they're around them so it's always fine um, my friends as well see when they came over a lot of the time I had lived in I was living with the house girls. So he'd move, you know, he wouldn't be there. So when the girls came over, I'd really spend my time with them Mm because I didn't see them very often. And it was maybe once or twice a year, they'd all come over together. And then I kind of went home. And But we'd have nights out together. And I don't think anyone really ever like noticed Mm. anything or no one ever said anything the girl that i lived with in london she'd overheard an argument one night that we had and she spoke to me like she would have been like my best friend Mm. georgie and she was like do you know how he was speaking to you like really and i just kept saying he was so drunk like he doesn't remember anything and she's like she actually came into the room like she intervened when we were having the argument and i was like mortified Mm -hmm. but um it was kind of slowly after that it wasn't long after I got pregnant but that we were spending more time at his and that was probably because he was mortified when she um caught him you know and put him in his place so after that we were spending kind of more time at his but I was really close to his family so we lived kind of on the same street as his family so I would have been very close to them and then like my family got on really well with their family so yeah it was just all behind closed doors. Doors, yeah. yeah.
2: Do you think it was a strategic move for him, moving you away from Georgie? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I definitely do. Because even, like I said, there was nights after that when he would run and we were like, oh, will we stay at mine for the weekend? Or, you know, whatever. My house was just more convenient for location for the uni and transport. That's mm-hmm. why we stayed there a lot more. Um, and I would kind of be like, yeah, okay. But looking back, I feel like it was probably to kind of get me away. Now, he wasn't... Physically abusive at that time, but he would have been like quite emotionally abusive and like verbally abusive.
2: In what way, can I ask?
3: The verbal abuse started that would have been a lot to do with my size, like my waist. So he would put me down a lot about that and even to do my uni course because it was drama, you know, things putting it down to that. um And then it, it was almost like he isolated me a little bit from my friends because he got that control and that, you know, if I ever did have anything. So when I was at uni, I worked two jobs as well so I was kind of always on the go Um, I missed out on a lot of you know nights out with uni friends and stuff because I was working Um, they were all a little bit younger because I would have been a mature student and they kind of had you know their moms and dads paying their rent and they were living in whereas I was private renting at the time so anytime there was an occasion or a night out something would always happen with him so that I'd have to cancel. Do you know last minute something big had happened. Or he'd plan something. And you know make it out. Like I, I he had told me about it. And then I was really isolating. And then like after a while. Like your friends can only do so much. Mm-hmm. like And they were my uni friends. So they weren't like you know my best friends. There's only so many times they're going to ask you. When you keep cancelling. Yeah. So then it was at a point where. I feel like he'd isolated me that little bit. So. um. Then with the emotional abuse, he would kind of almost throw that back in my face, you know, as in, like, you don't even really have friends here anymore, or, like, your only friend is so-and-so, and blah, 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 and, do you know, it just put me down about anything and everything, but the weight was a big one, and then the emotional abuse was just, like, a lot of the guilt, do you know, like, making me feel bad, do you know, that I wasn't giving him enough time, or I wasn't spending enough time with him, or I was always at work, or I was always at uni, and then, because it was drama, there was a lot of rehearsals as well on top mm-hmm. of that. So I'm always like as well I know it it shouldn't matter but I'm always like I can't believe I was like 27 stone or 26 stone and like I was constantly on the go. I'm like how mm. did I not lose weight? Like, <laughs> the amount of energy I used to burn like moving around so much. Mm. But um but yeah he would he would make me feel really guilty kind of almost for having a life, for having a social life and I didn't even have mm. a social life like do you know when you were in uni and everyone was nineteen twenty? Yeah. they were going out like Monday to Friday, not even just the weekends, whereas I'd maybe go out twice a month with them. So like making me feel like I was always out when really I was never out.
2: Do you know you just had a reaction to what you just said there? I did? Yeah, you were like, yeah. <laughs> so it still sits with you, does it?
3: It does a lot. Like I haven't spoken about it in a long time. Do you know mm. kind of way I did a good bit of um, writing about a month ago, like journaling kind of stuff? where I went through a lot of it and I think for about two weeks even I was texting my friend Grace this morning I was like I because I I wouldn't say that I have anxiety or suffer with anxiety mm. I had it really badly when I was over there and when I came home I lost it but I'd have triggers and I'm like when I'm deep dive, and I'm just like I hate that it still has a mm. strong effect but it's easy for me to push it down but only for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like it will always resurface or something will always come up that will trigger it. And I try my best to kind of face it and to talk openly about it when I can because even on social media sometimes I'm like I wish I could do more when I opened up about it. Um I was really lucky that I got people reached out to me, you know, to do talks or even to do a podcast to kind of sp- not like spread the word, but just to have an open conversation about it because it's not something that I think a lot of people feel comfortable talking about and it's not something I think people expect. Do you know, because you never know who it's happened. Yeah. I think people are surprised because there's still a lot of people that I don't know because they don't talk about mm-hmm. it all the time. Mm-hmm. But it's hard sometimes on my social media page because it's so food-based to then randomly throw mm. a little bit of domestic violence in there. But it's important to me to kind of keep the conversation going. But then sometimes what people don't realize when I do open up about it is my inbox gets flooded Mm. and sometimes I really struggle going through messages because people will reach out to me that are in the situation do you know that are living it now and it's their life or they'll talk to me about their past and like it'll bring a lot up for me so sometimes I'll have to literally be like I can't go into my message for a day or two Mm. because it just gets too much but it's it's a hard one because like I do want to talk about it mm. and I want to spread awareness but it's just like it was only four years ago for me so it is mm. do you know it's not that long ago either
2: and you're still healing and then I and I get absolutely you know these people are just want to share because they think oh maybe she's going to help me or maybe yeah. I'm going to get something from it but that is a huge trigger yeah for you as well so people need to be, and I think as well some people would be like you know oh I, I messed her and she never replied back but yeah. like You've got to help on and a, and a very, very raw subject Yeah, that is completely overwhelming to you.
3: And, like, people have even said to me in the messages before, like, I've never told a soul this. Like, I remember having a, a, a woman had messaged me, and she was, like, in her late 50s. She was around my mom's age. And she was, like, her daughter was in her 20s. And, um, no, she wasn't with her ex-partner, but she was, like, for 20-something years, like, I went through what you went through, and I've never told a soul. And she was, like, but listen, and to your story she was like I just really you know felt like I wanted to message it and she's like like I never will tell anyone about it because that's her choice it's Mm -hmm. her decision but so that like do you know, I and then when you do reply to someone, you open a conversation. So, like you know, if I only replied to ten people out of mm-hmm. hundred people, that's it's. I wouldn't just send a message back. I know it's an open conversation. Mm-hmm. So then I'm having ten ongoing conversations. But then you feel awful when you go into messages and you see one from four weeks ago where someone said something very vulnerable. Or a lot of times, the kind of more common message that I would get is a, a friend that's worried. Do you know, like my mm-hmm. friend is in a situation and I don't know what to do. And I work with, quite closely like with uh, serious Women's mm-hmm. Refuge. And I kind of spoke to them about, like, I feel like I need to have a little bit of almost like training because I have to be yeah. so careful of what yeah. I say. You know, I can't be like, tell her to get out of that situation mm-hmm. because it might be too dangerous for her to walk away. And then, you know, you don't know what the situation is like. I don't know what advice to give. All I can kind of say to them is to maybe speak to, you know, a professional place or let them know that you're there. You know, there's only so much that I can say and I have to be so careful with the advice I give. And sometimes that scares me because I'm worried if I say something wrong or, mm-hmm. you know, if it would have a negative impact or so that, yeah, that would worry me a lot.
2: It's the same with the podcast. I get so many people who come on to me and to say to me, oh, I'd love to come on as a guest. I'm in the middle of this. I'm going through this. And I have to be so careful because I don't want to open a door that I cannot close. Yeah. And that's really important. So what you're doing, safeguarding yourself and those people, those
3: people, yeah,
2: is and you just said like training and stuff like that as well. And that's something that maybe you'll do yeah. down the line. But you're still, process- four years is no time at all. Yeah, it's no time at all.
3: And it's been such a transformation the four years. Like yeah. You know, like there's been so much that has gone on, like so many amazing things as well. But that's always, you know, the main focus, and that's always there underneath everything. Um like, all the goods and the highs that I have, I still... Like, I still do struggle with it, you know? But Mm -hmm. I'm a different person to who I was. Like, I've come so far. So, like, I have to be proud. I can't discredit, you know, the work that I have done on myself and how far I've come along mentally. But it's definitely, you know, like you were saying, it's ongoing. And the healing process, you know, could be the rest Mm -hmm. of my life. It Mm -hmm. could be, you know, like, I don't know how long I will be healing, but I just... I to be patient with myself. And like I said, I'll go through phases where I'll, you know, talk about it or I'll write about it. And then when it's enough, I'm kind of like, I'm ready to kind of shut those doors for a little while.
2: And when you write, do you write to yourself?
3: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I just journal. Mm -hmm. Just like, write, but sometimes I'll write it and rip it up. Do you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to read it ever again, Mm -hmm. but I need to get it out. So I could write something down that could be 12 pages. Mm -hmm. And then other times I can't even write half a page. I'll go to write and I just can't write anything. So I'll go through... Phases every few months where I'll write a lot, and then I can't, I don't write at all because mm. sometimes it's hard. Like I know, journaling, I'm writing it all out is you know a great way to express your emotions and to get it out. But sometimes it's really hard, and there's times where I'm like, I don't have the energy to be this upset today, or <laughs> like mm. I don't have the energy to feel because this feeling can stay with me for a week. You know, mm. it can stay with me for a month. Like I said, it was three weeks ago that I'd done a lot of it, and even this weekend I was just felt really like really anxious like I hadn't felt like that in a long time now I did have alcohol the weekend so that could have Mm. triggered a lot as well Mm. but I do think um I know when I've had enough do you know like Mm. I know when to take a step back and be like okay
2: very strong Mm. you are to be able to do that you're very strong
3: thanks
2: you know so you should be proud of yourself for that I am tell me this then so he does he come in then afterwards for the first time? Does he apologise? Did he apologise throughout or?
3: Yeah. So the apologising stopped um pretty quickly and I suppose. The first few times it was always the alcohol was to blame, you know, and he was sorry. But I mean, it was getting to a point where like he'd wake up next to me and I'd have a black eye and he'd be like, oh my God, what happened to your face? And he'd have no recollection because he would be so blacked out drunk, you know, that kind of a way. And, um, like, that was tough because I remember I used to get upset with that because I'd be like, you, you know, put me through hell last night, you know, the worst night of my life. And you don't even have the audacity to remember, Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you get to wake up and, you know, nothing. And I, you know, have to look at you for the rest of the day after what you kind of put me through. Mm. I, I, that I used to struggle a lot with. I hated that. That would have been kind of towards... Maybe the end, you know, when he was really blacking out drunk. Like, he really did, in six months, go from, like, not an alcoholic to an alcoholic. And he was only the same age as me. So, I'd never seen somebody spiral, like, so quickly out of control, so young. Because, you know, when you think, like, when you're, like, oh, he's an alcoholic. You always just think of, like, an older man. Absolutely. Sitting in the bar, like, in his 60s. I didn't know any alcoholics that were that age. Mm-hmm. I'd never met one in my life. But it was just crazy to see someone... And then think of what they were like, you know, four or five years ago. Like a different person. And then to just see them, like, Mm -hmm. so just at their lowest, you know. And he did struggle mentally and he had, you know, issues. And he had stuff in his personal life. And, again, that was another reason why I always made excuses for him. You know, stuff from his past that would come up. And I just felt sorry for him. Like, I always had empathy for him. Um, And I think I kind of realized when I came out of the situation that a trait I have, a bad trait that I have, that I've always been a people pleaser. And I think that's why I stayed as long as I did. I mean, there was a hundred reasons. But the fact my whole life, I was always self-conscious and had low self-esteem because of my weight. I was always on edge that someone was going to call me fat. I was always nervous going out, you know, that I'd be laughed at. So I wanted to be everyone's best friend. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be liked by everyone I tried my best to be the funniest, most likable so that no one would call me out on my size, that they would, instead of looking at me and just seeing, like, fat Jen, they'd be Mm -hmm. like, oh, funny Jen. Mm -hmm. So I kind of tried to make up for my size by being the nicest person I could be and I really fell into a trap of being a people pleaser. Like, I'd never say no to anyone and I think that was why when it was, when the relationship was in, like, a really toxic state, I kind of still had that ping of, like, I can, I, can, I can fix him, but I want to help him. Like, I want to support him. And then I would also be, like, after all that we've been through, if I walk away and then he fixes himself and someone else gets to have him when he's back oh to it, And I hated that. I had such a fear oh of my that. God. You totally get that. And I was, like, I don't want to put, like, the last five years everything we've been through to walk away and then you meet another girl and you're sorted and you have a great life together and then I'm Ooh. and I always had that in the back of my head even though deep down you know mm-hmm. you know no one can fix them they have to fix themselves and if you're not happy and what they've actually done to you like it, that's never going to happen but I always had that fear and you know because we had a baby together I wanted to be the one do you know that would help turn his life around and you know like if I did that you know he'd be forever grateful mm. for me
2: <laughs> did you love him in that time
3: I mean I thought I did but looking back I didn't I think I loved the idea of being in a relationship and I loved the idea of having someone that wanted me do you know and that loved me well that I thought loved me but it, it definitely wasn't love like looking back now I would have at the time, I would mm-hmm. say it. That's why I stayed, because I loved them. But it was...
2: Did you think, and you said it there a little bit, do you think, again, a lot of that was stemmed from your from your way?
3: Yeah, 100%. I think the whole um, self-esteem thing, because my self-esteem was always bad. Mm-hmm. I never had great self-esteem. I never had any kind of confidence. And then when someone breaks you to that point where, like... There was nothing there. Like, I was, like, an empty vessel. Like, my life wasn't my life. My life rotated around him before a character came. Do you know that kind of a way? Like, I'd put his needs and his wants before mine. And, like, I think in any relationship, you know, if you're doing something like that, like, that's not healthy. Do Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And that was just the whole people pleasing thing. But it all, I think, goes back and connects to the way. Like, Mm. and I hate saying that because, like, there's such a good positive you know the body positivity mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. and like it shouldn't matter what size you're in and on stuff and I 100% agree and support that but I just wasn't that mm-hmm. I would have been even now you know when people are saying like oh your page and body positivity I'm like I wish it was but it's not I still really struggle mm-hmm. like really struggle with body image and self-esteem and confidence and people just assume because I've lost the way and I've had the surgery I'm probably really confident mm-hmm. but I'm not at mm-hmm. all in myself But um, I think it all kind of goes back into that, like the just having no self-esteem and like I had no self-worth. So like if I didn't, like I just, it's hard to explain, like it was like I didn't even like myself, do you know Mm -hmm. that kind of a way? So he made me happy at the time and I would do anything to kind of keep him around do you know that way mm. and his self-worth was more important to me than my own self-worth and then obviously when character came that started to change a little bit because he was the priority mm. and he was number one and obviously that then caused i suppose an issue mm. in our relationship because he wasn't the priority mm. anymore
2: tell me about that did you have character in the uk or did you have him um, Yeah,
3: oh. so i had character in london and then we didn't move home till Carter was 2. So he was there um the year I was pregnant and then we lived together for a year after he was born and then we separated when Carter was about 15 months old and then I didn't move home till the following year just for like So maybe.
2: Carter's born and is there any change? like does does having kids change these people?
3: I mean I don't think it from my personal situation, it didn't. I mean, definitely made him more emotional, and I would definitely see the guilt more. He definitely felt a lot more guilty. I'd seen him a lot more vulnerable, you know, because he knew he was in mm-hmm. a bad way. He knew he was a disappointment, and he didn't want to be. I think at that point, when Carter was born, he was, like, out of work and all, like, didn't couldn't hold the job down because of the drink. And, um, like, he was falling out a lot with his family. The I don't think you know you can have an an addiction or an issue like that and then have a child and a change I mean maybe it has for some people I just think it's that whole thing where it's from within mm-hmm. do you know like if having a child isn't going to make you change then like what is mm-hmm. and he didn't you know so I definitely think it's something that you need to kind of within yourself because I always say that with the weight loss I'm always like I wish I could say that I did it for me and I loved myself enough to do it and to want to lose the way for me but I didn't mm-hmm. like I really believe that my push was character do you know like and I think that's sad to say that I didn't love myself enough to kind of put the work and you know effort into myself but do
2: you love yourself now
3: I'm working on it <laughs> I love myself a lot more than I did love myself so I'm definitely working on it, but I think it's a journey and I think that's I think unfortunately for women, especially, because women's bodies and everything like that is so objectified and you know be sp- sp- like spoken about in media constantly, so I do think for women, unfortunately, for the majority of women, it's something that you kind of nearly struggle with majority of your mm. life, you know, hopefully not always, but I think we've got we've gotten a lot better, and I do think you know there's so many pages out there even on Instagram and stuff that are really inspiring and it's so nice to see people on Instagram that look like you because mm-hmm. I think for so long with media like especially when we were growing up do you know like mm-hmm. magazines and mm-hmm. ads everything it was always a very stereotyped person whereas I love the way on social media you can follow who you want mm-hmm. so you could only follow people that look like you and like you that it's it's sad but like I think that would have a massive impact on, do you know, your confidence, your mental, mm. when you're scrolling and you're looking at people, and you're like, she looks great, I love that outfit, and they all look like you, mm. rather than, and I would have been like this before, where I only followed girls that looked, you know, absolutely mm. nothing, like they were like six foot size, eight models, that mm. I'm never going to be that. And I'd be looking at them feeling crap about myself because I didn't look like that. Mm. So, you know, there are ways I think now where, you know, you can take control more and you can, it's really it's easier to kind of grow up now in the society of like inclusion and body confidence and body positivity. And it's spoken about so much more. I think the era that I grew up in, it wasn't mm. like that. And I think cause of all the issues I had with my weight and stuff that I'm really struggling. Well, not, I'm not really struggling now, but I really struggled and then having, you know, the relationship and the, like the emotional and the verbal abuse, like, my brain was already wired in such a bad way of how I viewed myself and then to have someone you know confirm and cement all of that like that's been the hardest part like rewiring how I look at myself Mm -hmm. and like I train um in back to basics and I do PT once a week with Mo and he's like the best person for kind of helping me change that Mm. like every single week and I'm I'm so bad for it like I'm terrible for it and I hate admitting it because I think people are like you know they look at my page and they just assume that I'm really you know confident Mm. and like positive and all this kind of stuff but every single class I do him I'm like oh god like look at the size of my hair so like oh my legs are so big or like these legs and you know I'll always say something negative Mm. and he'll pull me up on it straight away and he will nearly give me a pep top every single Friday that really helps do you know like I mm. walk away and I think about what he said and I had a really bad week I think last week or the week before about my legs because my leg surgery was supposed to be like a year or two ago and it's kind of postponed to the end of the year and do you know coming into summer I'm just yeah. like I can't wear anything like they're so obvious they're huge and all of the skin to me looks really obvious where it hangs and he was like you need to start he was like imagine that surgery wasn't an option like it wasn't something yeah. that you could ever do he was like, what would you do? He's like, you'd have to learn to love and accept your legs. He was like, because they're your legs and they're always going to be like that. He was like, it's how you're viewing it and how you're thinking of it. Like, you just think when you get the surgery, they'll be so much better. He was like, but, you know, your legs have gotten you where you are today. Like, they've carried you through the work you've done. He's like, you know, you should be so proud of how big and strong they are. <laughs> like, I know. And it, it just for someone to yeah. actually put it in black and white for you. When you hear them yeah. say it. And I really did. Like, it's, I sat with that for a while. Do you know, like, But imagine the surgeries had never been an option mm. do you know like it, it really would be either look you sit here and you hate yourself and you put yourself down for the rest of your life about this skin that you can't do anything about or you just start to accept it and embrace it mm. and I do know a lot of girls um online like that have had massive weight loss and they don't bother with the surgery mm. now they might not have say as much excess skin that I would have had and I was like, I really admire that mm. because when I opened up about the surgery, so many people were like, you know, it's a huge amount of money to be spent and like, you're a single mom. Should you not be getting a house for you and character? And it was like, literally the savings I used for my surgery, it was I was like, it's either my mortgage or it's a thingy. Mm. But at the time I was like, I'm not going to get accepted, you know, mortgage yeah. approval as a single person. So I was like, I'm going to do it for me now. And some people would say, you know, the money that you're spending on that would be better invested into therapists, you know, about self-love. And I'm always like, I just think, you know, they. it's like you can still love yourself Mm. and still want to have the surgery. And every single person that would say this to me, like I take one look at their profile and be like, you've you know clearly you haven't lost 12 stones you know mm-hmm. you haven't struggled what weight the way I have and like you don't understand how painful it is like it's mm-hmm. not comfortable walking around with kilos and kilos like stones of skin do you know hanging and also because I train a lot mm-hmm. which is obviously you know fast moving the skin was really painful so I was like I don't think you can say you know you don't love yourself if you're opting for surgery like they're two completely different mm-hmm. things but it's just always the people that have the opinion, you know, have never been in the yeah. situation, and that would kind of irritate me because I'm like, do you it's know, when you know, don't come back and say mm-hmm. it to me. But for me, it was a no brainer. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm getting the surgery. Like it's the best thing I've ever done. Do you yeah. know, like you I had couldn't to do it for happier, you, yeah.
2: yeah, and you wouldn't be the mammy exactly. I always today. say that. Do you know yeah. what I mean? If you didn't do it, so
3: if I didn't do it and. It was the right time and luckily we were at home. Do you know, my mum and dad mm. were there and I said, these are the years. Now, obviously, <laughs> COVID kind of extended mm. those two years to four years. But I just remember thinking it'd be a good time and I can always get a mortgage. You know, mm. I don't have to get it right now. And that's obviously going to be the plan after the surgery. But, yeah, know, the surgery was definitely the best thing that I ever did mm. for myself.
2: Can I ask you, when you were in London then, um, his family, did they not see it and say, anything
3: so they did eventually they knew obviously the drinking was an issue because there was one or two times um he literally got dropped to the house by the police like because they found him out and about and he was like drunk and um, I think towards the end of my pregnancy um his mom had tried to get him into a rehabilitation place and she was really trying to get him into rehab um, for the drink, and he was he was he was against. You know, he was still in denial that he had an issue. He was like, "No, like as soon as the baby comes, that's it. You know, I, I'll be back to myself and all." And then it was actually when Carter was only um, like a week, maybe ten days old, um, his brother like came to visit. So his mom and dad were on holiday, and his brother came over like unexpected. And we were just sitting there and I obviously had no makeup right on. But I had a really bad um, bruise all along my cheekbone and jaw. So like basically half my face was just black. Mm-hmm. So when he came in, I was like, oh God, do you know I had no makeup on? So we were sitting watching the Telly, And I remember he was standing to like the right and the mark was on my left. And he'd sat down and was like having a cup of tea. And then like a few minutes later, he just kind of looked at me. And he was like, what is on your face? and I was like what do you know like acting like what are you talking mm-hmm. about he was like that he was like there's like a, I think he was a set of shiner or something but he was like mm-hmm. and he walked over and he, he was like what is that and then I just burst out crying I just was like I didn't know what to say and I went to the bathroom you know as if to be like what are you talking about when I was looking mm-hmm. in the mirror and then um he actually looked at his brother and he was just like what is that and then he kept looking at me and was like, you tell him, you tell him. And I just was crying, you know do. And it was brother packed up everything for me and my little boy and took us to his his house. And we stayed there that night. And then the next day, his sister got up with me like six, seven in the morning. I had to queue to get into a women's shelter, you know, to get housed. So me and Carter um, were put on a list, like an emergency list. And I stayed with her for a couple of weeks. So the family were like amazed and they were like... I don't know where I would have been without them, do you know, the support. And then I didn't see him for a few weeks and then his mum and dad came home and he did go to rehab. So we went to rehab and then I was put into a women's shelter for a few months and eventually got my own place. And then we got back in touch. So he'd done the rehab, he was off the drink and I was like, he's fixed. This is great. And... um. Now, we didn't move in together. Like, we did Mm -hmm. take it quite slow. And he got a new job the following January. So, this all would have been between, like, say, May and August, the transitions and the, like, I had a C-section. And, like, do you know, going through all of that, my family was at home and then having to move from my house to, you know, his and dad's house for a few nights to his sister's house to a temporary shelter, to a shelter. Like, it was just so much. And, like, my family didn't know any; They just thought I was at home with him. They didn't know any of this was going on. They didn't know I was living in, you know, five different houses in the space of a month or something. I'm trying to, like... I was a big girl. I was obviously very overweight. I had my C-section scar healing. I'm, like, you know, trying to... You know what it's like when yeah. you to leave the house with a newborn, mm-hmm. like, between bottles and bags and nappies? And I'm trying to pack every few weeks, everything I owned you know that kind of a way and I look back now and I do be like I don't know how I did that like I wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to do that now but I think it's just one of those things when you're in it when you're in the moment you just do what you have to do and I was more concerned about keeping character. you know like I mean he was a few weeks old he hadn't a clue what was going mm-hmm. on once he was you know getting breastfed he was fine mm-hmm. but I mean tr- I was more trying to make it out to everyone that I knew that everything was fine that was my biggest concern that my mom and dad didn't find out about any of this do you know what I mean I didn't want them to know anything and then I remember my mom my mom came over because they were kind of coming over regularly because character or because the baby was born when she came over the next time I was in the women's shelter and she didn't know it was a women's shelter it was like the studio apartment and I just had told them that um we had separated i just said look we broke up you know he's drinking a lot and i just don't need that right now i need to focus on me and the baby so i said i'm after moving and she was like what the hell like she was so confused and so upset and you know his mom and dad were really good like you know they i had begged them like begged them don't tell them anything about the violence and i remember even his mom was like i really think you should tell your mom like i think you'll regret it And I was like I will in my own time but I just can't deal with that right now and I can't deal with her having to go home to my dad and them know what happened. So I just said I'll tell them about the drink and and like we'll go from there. So I remember my mom coming over and it was I just remember being sad at seeing how sad she was because like the apartment wasn't very nice. You know, It was just like Mm. a little studio flat. It's like one room with like a bathroom and like a kind Of, like, offset kitchen type thing, and um, I just didn't leave the house. Like, I sat in that room for three months, and I would feel like the worst man because you know, a new baby, mm. but it was like up two flights of stairs, so I'd have to carry his buggy down every time I wanted to go out. And do you know I was so unfit, but obviously, he needed fresh air, and I remember just being so terrified leaving the house. Like, I just didn't want to leave the house in case I seen him. Now, he had no idea where I was at that time. Mm. And it was also out in an area of London that I had never lived in. I'd never been to it. I didn't know it. It wasn't a particularly nice area. Mm-hmm. And I think keeping that all a secret to everyone, even my friends from uni didn't know any of this was going on. Like that was what was so hard because I didn't have anyone. The only people I had that I could talk to was his family. And, you know, there was only so much I wanted mm-hmm. to say to them. Mm-hmm. I just wish that I had it opened up to someone. And, like, when my mom was there, there were so many times when I really wanted to mm-hmm. tell her everything. I remember the day that her and my dad first came to visit. Carter was, like, three days old. They stayed with us for a week. And it was the last day she was leaving. And that was actually the morning that he had given me that really big bruise. But it was, like, two hours before they came over, so it wasn't, hadn't come up. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she was going, like, and she kind of took my hands or whatever, and I was like, please don't go, mum. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please... And I think I remember at the time, she was just like, um, Take your time. Sorry, go ahead. She obviously just thought it was emotional because the baby. Mm-hmm. But I remember just being like, I just knew what was ahead of me. And I was like, please, I was like, just stay for a few more days. And I remember my dad and all just being like, you'll be fine. Like, you're doing great. You're doing great. And they had like no clue. Like, they hadn't a clue what was going on. But, um... Yeah, I mean, it's only when I look back or when I talk about those things that I'd be like, "Good, I was stronger." Yeah, like, then I give myself credit for it. Do you know, that kind of a way. Like, but I think when you're in those situations, like I said, you just get on one. I think especially because I just had the baby. you know, I wanted to keep everything as smooth as possible, and I wanted to just that was my priority. So whatever I had to do, I just did it, and mm-hmm. um, you just don't think about anything else. But yeah. You know. So how did you get away? So that was a long process. Getting away was because I finally opened up and told my friend. So I did end up telling um, my mom a year later. So um, Carter was about 15 months. And like I said, he got a job that January. So Carter was born in May. So the following January, he had gotten a job in um, like a bookies. And I remember thinking this is going to be a great thing or this is going to be a terrible thing because he'd been off the drink. And, um, his sister was like, no, I think it's really good. And he was really like, he showed up every day. Like, and I was like, God, he really is making an effort. Um, and then the last weekend of January, when he got his first wage back, he just went on a two day bender and, you know, came home, didn't have a penny in his bank. you know, he just, I don't know what he did, but it was a two day bender and that was it then. And then it was like four weeks of being sober again because he'd no money Mm. do you know what I mean but he was really you know financially abusing me at this point as well like taking everything like he'd rob my cards he'd hide my debit cards I had set up like I was savvy with it and that like I had set up a second account that he'd no idea about that I used to put money in all the time for savings because I could say to him like please don't take it I said I'm only 20 pound in there and Mm. I need to get nappies and baby food and like he wouldn't care and that used to kill me because I'd be like imagine that was the case mm-hmm. do you know what I mean because mm-hmm. that obviously does happen but um I never let myself kind of do you know I always had my own little money thing there which is probably one of the best things I ever did but um he then this was at a point I think the second or third month into the job, it was like the same thing, like clockwork. Like he would get paid, go on a vendor, then be broke for the month. And then be kind of nearly groveling for the month. But I, at that point, I think I had lost any kind of, like, I, he, like at that point, he just made me feel sick, Do you know? Mm. Like he turned my stomach. Like I didn't even want to be around him. I used to dread, I'd be just getting anxiety with the thought of him coming over, even if it was just, you know, to see Carter and have dinner, I just didn't want to be in his presence at all at that point. And that was when I kind of knew I was ready to leave. So I had ended up going back to uni when Carter was a few months old um, in the September. So he was three, four months old. I went back to do my final year. And I did my pieces. I did everything. I don't know how I did it. And um, I got everything handed in. And I ended up graduating in the... June or July and my mom and dad came over for that and we were all going out for a meal and I remember he was he was getting ready in his own apartment and I was like we're leaving we'll be he was like I'm not ready give me half an hour and I had me my mom dad and card from car and Karen. I was like no I was like I told you to be ready at this time if you're mm. not ready like I'm not sitting in the car with my mom for half an hour like they've booked a dinner and no. all and um I used to get a bit braver, I suppose, mm. when my mom and dad were there because mm. I knew we wouldn't do it and I knew we wouldn't come to the house. Mm. So I would get a little bit braver and then be like, Oh, Jesus, once they left because mm. I knew then. But, um, so I went to the restaurant without them, and I remember, um, my mobile phone, I put it in my bag and I could feel it vibrating constantly. And I remember my stomach, and there's things like that that I hate that I'm like, Back graduation dinner, when I think of that, like, and how proud I was, but all I remember. Even though it was my mom, dad, and character, all I can remember from that dinner is that feeling that I had, that sick feeling of "Oh God, like what is he going to say or what's he going to do?" And I remember at one point, checking my phone; I had like forty something messages, just forty messages of him saying like horrible stuff. And I was like, "I like don't look at it, just don't look at it." And um, that carried on through the night or whatever. And then I remember at the time just being like. For the months leading up to my graduation even in the last year before I walked away I did this thing all the time where I'd be like I'll just get to this exam and once this exam's done because I'm so stressed about it then I'll deal with leaving mm. them then that exam would be done and they're like right I'll just get to my birthday I'll just get through Carter's birthday I'll and there was always something that I was like no, once that's out of the way then I'll leave them and um my graduation was one of the things I'd said I said no once my graduation is over that's it and I remember when my graduation was over I was like what next like what's what's the next excuse I can use I was like it's kind of now or never so he had come over to the house and he had it was like the middle of the day like it was sunny outside and he was really 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 intoxicated and he had never been physical to me um in front of character like he'd always put character in a different room but this time he was physical with me while I was holding character and I, that's when I was like okay this is dangerous it's not even I'd never kind of really considered you know the impact or like the danger I was putting him in because he never did anything like he would never lay a finger on him it was only me even though I wouldn't be thinking, like, you know, he'd knocked me out before I was out cold, you know, and even if it was for five minutes, like, that's five minutes, characters, you know, unattended. So I think that time I was like, okay, I need, this is it. You know, like, he's putting us both at risk. You know, if he knocks me out now and he takes character and he goes off with him, you know, and he's drunk, you know, like, that's my, not my fault, but I'm, I felt responsible for putting character in that situation. So I decided then... he was asking me to drive him somewhere or something like that. So I was like in my head, just drive him there. And as soon as you drop him off, drive to your friend. So my friend from uni that I'd stayed in touch with, we were quite close. And I remember just parking up somewhere and I wrote this big long text out and I was like, just send it. I was like, if you just send this message, once you send it, somebody knows what's going on and she knows that you're at risk. And even if you want to deny it later, she knows about it. So I just sent her, and she was in work and she rang me straight away and she was like, just collect me and I'll come back to the house and stay with you. And she did. And it was, it was actually that night. I knew he would come back and she was like, no, like it's two o'clock. Like, let's go to Betty Mountain. And it was like six in the morning. He showed up and he was not impressed at all at the fact that she wouldn't let him in. We mm. was like a house with three floors or like an apartment block with three floors and there was two apartments on each floor and I was on the second floor so we were like up one story and I remember she was at the window and she's like you're not coming in so he got all this like bricks and wood and just smashed all the windows in the house he smashed my car up because that was in the garden so she called the police because I was like she mm-hmm. was like ring the police and I remember I was just sitting on the bed and I couldn't move like I just I was frozen and the police showed up and he got arrested and got released do you know there's nothing they can do you need to pay for my windows which I think he'd pay me like £20 a month for a year oh or something. Oh, my But um, when that all happened, um, Emma was like, you need to tell your mum and dad. She's like, they have to know, like, you're in a really dangerous situation now. So I did tell my mum and dad. Um, and I remember my mum flew over the next day, like, and she was... What oh. did you tell her? Did you ring? I told her... I didn't tell her about the abuse when I rang her. I just said, things haven't been good. And I've maybe been lying a little bit. And I said, He's back on the drink, and it's worse than it's been. And like, I don't feel safe anymore, and I want to come home. And I think they knew then. So she literally flew over the next day, and my dad booked a villa in Lanzarote, like a big, mad expensive villa at Swimfield, like for two weeks later or something for the three or the four of us to go for like 10 Mm -hmm. days. And I needed that. Like, that was amazing. But it was obviously sad always having to go back to London. It was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to leave London. So we had to go through the court system for nearly a full year. And that was really drawn out. And then... Why? Well, there was the domestic violence. And then there was the... um, I needed to be granted, like, leave... Or access to leave the jurisdiction of the UK. Because Carter was a UK citizen. And like you know the way now I wouldn't know too much with with the law but Mm. is I feel like in Ireland it's really hard Mm. for fathers to get a lot of rights Mm. whereas in the UK it's not that it's different but they're they're very much you know it's the child that matters and they have a right to both their parents it doesn't matter what's going on between you it's the child's right to know both their parents and which is obviously better, but in my situation it mm-hmm. wasn't, because it meant that it just made it that much harder um, for us to get to live. So from August until the following June, we were back and forth, back and forth all the time at court. And then in the June they were like, You've, we're going to give you a leave, like we're granting you the leave um, to live in the UK. Uh, or to live in ireland again my restraining order i had restraining orders against him and they were still like intact for another year in ireland but um he had agreed to do like a domestic violence course thing i suppose Um, he agreed to the judge to do that because it was back and forth for so long a lot of the times it was because he didn't do what he was supposed to do Mm -hmm. He, he was late he didn't show up to court and instead of I don't know in my eyes I'd be thinking yeah. could they not just be like okay he's not ours but mm. it's not it's like okay we'll re-adjourn for six weeks re-adjourn for six weeks and that was horrible that year because it was just dragged out so long and it was never ending and then um when he agreed to do the domestic violence course when he showed up um on the day of it he denied that it happened and they were like we can't take people on if they're in denial you have to be here because you're willing to change so then the judge was just like, no, you know, you agree to do it and you've wasted time and it's an expensive thing. So she granted me the leave, but the domestic violence thing was still ongoing and I had to choose whether I wanted to continue with that or just get home. Mm. I remember speaking to my solicitor and she was like, I hate to say because I always feel a little bit guilty that I didn't go through with it, mm. but I know it was the right thing for me to leave when I left. Mm. But I remember her saying it to me. She said, like, you have, what, 10 photographs here that you've given them. There was, I think, two videos. She said, you would think that is more evidence than you'd need. Mm -hmm. She said, but unfortunately, these cases never really turn out how you want them. And they're so complicated. She said, we can stay. It could be another year, you know, that you're fighting. And the outcome probably won't even be what you want it to be. Mm And I was just like, I just don't have the energy. I was like, I just don't have any more fight in me. All I wanted to do was go home. So I just decided, I remember ringing my mum and dad and he literally booked the boat like three days later in a van and we packed up and I just left. Never looked, but I haven't been back to London since. Have you now? Do you think you'll ever go back? I mean, I'd like to because it's where a character's from. You know, I'd, I'd like to show them it. And I do still have friends over there that I would speak to, you know, but... I don't know, every time I imagine going back there, I don't know, it's just a weird feeling. You know, I feel like I'd be looking over my shoulder a little bit, but I definitely think I will go back. I'll definitely go back. I just don't know when.
2: Are you in touch, or is Carter in touch with his family?
3: No. So they have, they kind of, when I told them that I wanted to move, they were obviously hurt by that. Mm. You know, they wanted me to stay. And... They just didn't really understand, I suppose, how scared I was. Do you know, like, I was like, I can't live here. Like, it would be no life for me in Carter. Do you know, I'm petrified mm. to leave the house. I was like, I'm not leaving the house. And I was living out in Croydon, which is technically, um, it's not actually London. It's mm. just like the outskirts of London. But I was so cut off from everyone. I was far out, you know, it was like a 40 minute drive for me to go into London to see my friends and I didn't like going into the yeah. area where they lived because that was around where he lived. So I would just isolate myself and I would literally be relying on family and friends to come visit me, Do you know, which was probably like every couple of months. Mm-hmm. But um, no, there's been no contact. I don't Do you, did, imagine. Did you look
2: over your shoulder for a while while you were here?
3: The first few weeks, I think I, I had really bad nightmares. Mm. I felt like... I always, I'm like, the second I stepped off the boat and, like, even when me and my dad were in the car with character driving from London to Wales, I still felt anxious because I was, like, and there was absolutely no way he even mm. knew where we were. But I remember just still feeling like, you know, like you can't get a deep breath. Like, I was constantly... And I remember as soon as I walked into the house, my arms front door, like, it was like the 12 stone fell off me. Like, I just felt so relaxed. And then there was a couple of little things like weird triggers that I would get like um because I was saying he was on or I was on the second floor mm. whenever he'd show up he would always throw like a pebble at my window mm. so sometimes there'd be certain noises I'd hear and I'd trigger or I remember one night waking up and I was like oh my god I woke up because I heard the noise mm. and I was like shit he's in the garden I was like he's in the background I like, and I was like having a full-on panic attack and I was sweating terrible like, not here do you know that kind mm. of a way but um convinced myself but the the anxiety and all that kind of stuff like it did leave me very quickly do you know like I did Mm -mm. still struggle days or you know but I think I really quickly like submerged myself into spending every minute of the day with people and that was literally it was like the month before I left to move home um was when I started my weight loss that's when I started Mm -hmm. being like okay there's a chance that I'll be moving home and it's going to be soon like I felt like a failure. I was like, I don't want to be, ho- I don't want to move home and look how I look and I'm a single mom running away from an abusive ex. I've no job. I'm 27 stone. Like I just was the lowest I'd ever been at that point and I just felt so low in myself and I remember that's when I was like, no, do you know, I'm getting a chance, like a really lucky second chance. Carter only has one parent now mm-hmm. and I really want, do you know, to prove to myself and to everyone that I, I can do you know be a good mom and I'll be the best parent I can and I want to give him the best opportunities and just simple things I didn't want to miss out with him and I was like no
2: but you always have you know that I know you always have been like well, yeah you have
3: he's always been first but I just didn't feel it at the time mm. you know I really felt like I'd failed him and do you know the whole situation even though I wanted to get away from my ex it was still his dad and you know he's going to be his dad forever that kind of thing I really struggled with so I just remember being like this is it like I need to do it for us and give us the best opportunity now do you know mm-hmm. forget I felt like it was a second chance at life nearly mm-hmm. moving home so I was like I'm gonna make the best kind of of it take it of both hands mm-hmm. seize the moment and just even my mindset became so much more positive as soon as I was back in Ireland do you know mm-hmm. like I'd wake up like it's it's such a weird feeling like for when you're years in a situation where you wake up every day with that feeling in your stomach or your chest where you're just like you don't know what today holds but that constant like fear almost that's in In what's like institutionalized yeah Mm -hmm. and just like literally moving back to Ireland to wake up the next day with a smile on my face Mm -hmm. like little things like that you know like to just wake up and not have that worry like it consumes yeah and it takes over so much like I remember I was getting physically sick like you know I was getting like all these weird stomach pains the doctors couldn't figure it out They think it was like pancreatitis acute gastritis the doctor was like you know you're under a lot of stress like you have a newborn and you're doing your uni degree and he was like sometimes you can hold on to that stress and it comes out in certain ways and I was like yeah and everything else that's going mm-hmm. on as well I internalized it and because I didn't talk to anyone about it like, I really believe, I mean, I know, scientific, like, scientifically, I can't prove that it was, mm. but I really do think mm. the way I held on to all that stuff, it came out in, like, almost like a sickness in me then. Mm-hmm. And I think um, then, because, like, as soon as I moved home, never had those cramps again. Now, it could have mm-hmm. been as well to do with the weight loss, I don't know, but I just mean. No, but it is, like, you had to
2: expel that. Yeah. In some way. Some way, yeah. And, like... It, if it didn't, it would have, like, caused cancers That's and everything. Say, you know, like, you
3: know, when you're building it up. Mm. Like, it's a physical thing yeah. that you're holding on to inside. But it was, like, as if when I moved home, like, having my friends and I told them everything. And I mean, that was really hard as well because seeing them get so emotional and mm. they really struggled kind of, you know, knowing what I had been through and I had kept it all a secret. But it also was so nice to be able to finally... I know because there was some times where like you're going through something and like you're going through something really really awful and I used to be like I just wish someone knew what I was going through like I just wish someone could just see for a second what I actually am putting up with do you know like I remember having those thoughts one time I think he was like in the middle of hitting me or something and I was just like I just really wish one of my friends could see this and they just knew that I needed help or they they would reach out to me even Take if they did reach out to me mm. I would have been in denial and I would deny it to the ground but it's just those moments of being like, it's just unfair that, you know, I have this life that no one knows about and, you know, kind of like feeling sorry for myself in that way. So it was nice then when I moved home to have them. And like, I'm lucky that I have a group of friends that I've had, you know, since I was yay high and mm-hmm. we're very close still, all of us, It's like having a group of sisters and being able to just talk to them.
2: Are you an only child?
3: No, I have a brother, I have okay. one older brother. Mm-hmm. And... Um, That was so therapeutic for me, you know, having that Mm -hmm. and finally being able to get it all off my chest. And I think that was even a lot of what helped me be successful with the weight loss. Like everything just all fell into place at the right time, Mm -hmm. even though I felt like I never would. And I think I was 29 when I started kind of with the weight loss. But I feel people always say when they're trying to lose a lot of weight, like you have your moment and you just know when it's that. And I just felt like all my stars aligned Mm. and I was like right everything is working and like my mindset was more positive I just felt like lighter I felt happier I was so grateful to wake up every day and to be able to you know go do what I want and not feel scared Mm -hmm. or not hold myself back and I do think that has a lot to do with how successful I was with the weight and then the training Mm. like that was my therapy going to the gym every day was how I was released and I think a lot of my emotions as well
2: can I ask do you think that with your friends, did you become closer and did it make the bond stronger because I always wonder how you're the person being affected by this, but also the people around you and are they thinking, We should've known. Why did we not know? Why like so did that make you guys stronger?
3: It definitely did. I mean, I couldn't get over like the support they had, like especially for the first six months, like they never didn't check in on me. They never left me alone. They took me to everything. Do you know, I was with them every day. They would make sure, do you know, to give stuff up, to have time with me. And I just felt like they went above and beyond for me. And I always say to them, like, I really wouldn't have got through as well as as I did. I don't think if I had if I didn't have my group of friends that I have. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they really pulled me through, and they helped me kind of at my lowest when I needed it. So like for me. I wouldn't say that it brought us closer but like it was another level like of friendship that I hadn't experienced before with them you know what I mean that I was so grateful for and really felt so lucky with the group of friends that I had you know like especially getting to kind of 30 and still having the same friends since primary school Mm. and to be so close and like one group of friends I have now like there was a point where we all lived in a different continent Mm. but we still kind of managed to maintain the friendship but i definitely like yeah i i feel sorry for sometimes Remember, some people reach out to me Mm. and it's how i felt when i was in london like they're like i don't have any friends and i don't have family that i can reach out and i can't leave them because i've nowhere to go and that happens a lot when you're in those relationships that they do isolate you and cut you off and your friends maybe don't know the extent of what's going on and they just think you're not bothering so you kind of drift And then you're so isolated that you feel like you've no one to turn to. Mm -hmm. Even though I'm sure if you reached out to someone, you know, they would listen. But I felt like that for so long when I was in London. And I can only imagine what it'd be like if I was at home, Mm -hmm. like, to feel like that. Do you know, I always felt like in the back of my head I had Ireland to run away to eventually. Mm -hmm. Like, if I was in London and that was it, like, do you know, Mm -hmm. I probably be still there i don't know where i would mm. be you know that kind of way and that's scary so i do feel lucky that i have a good group of friends because i'm sure if anyone is in that kind of situation it would be tough if you mm. didn't
2: and i think we need to kind of say to people as well that you may think you don't have friends yeah. and actually if you just opened up and told somebody yeah you they'll be there for you yeah
3: i don't think you know many people would turn a blind eye I think definitely there's certain people that would get uncomfortable they might not know what to do but I do think it's important even to make someone aware of possible you don't have to go into detail I did that for a long time I just said I don't feel safe I'm not comfortable with certain things I didn't say for a while you know Mm. that he'd physically put his hands on me but I would just let them know that I was in a situation where I just didn't feel safe or comfortable and there's so many places now luckily Mm. you know even the stuff that I would be trying to spread awareness about, but there's so many refuges and places, you know, to reach out to, and so many of them are discreet, you know, you don't have to tell them anything, you can tell them as much or as little as you want, because it's so important to just talk, Mm -hmm. like, to have even just someone to listen to you, and to let them know how you're feeling, Mm -hmm. and I think, like, that's very available to people now, and that, you know, more people need to take advantage of that and
2: go to the right people as yes. you said people the who right are trained and
3: the people that know what to do what to do in yeah. situations
2: i have to ask you about your drama because I was a drama student and oh, yeah. yeah and then my dad told me that I couldn't be a drama student anymore and I had to get a real job so I got a real That's job. what happened to me. It's so bad yeah. like you when know. When I was
3: 18 I was like I'm moving to London he was like you're not you're going to college so I did a year in Crumlin, did beauty therapy. Oh my god so I, did I <laughs> in Delirium yeah. I did it in Crumlin. Yeah. I was like right I did my year and I still want to do drama. so yeah. I moved when I was 19 he was like right go on.
2: Did you love every second of I it? I loved
3: it I mean I was doing speech and drama since I was four or five. Mm. I did you know my grade one to ten my certificate and then I hated hated me and my friend Eva. she's the one that I did drama with mm-hmm. and moved to London with she lives in LA now and she still does acting but she um I remember we hate the fact that it wasn't on the curriculum okay in mm. Ireland mm. and we tried to protest it in our school you know, to <laughs> get it on And then um, even the courses in Ireland for drama Mm. as a uni subject, it's Mm. just like laughed at. You know, Mm. when you tell people you're doing drama, they're like, what? But like, what are you really doing? Yeah. Whereas in England, like in London, it's really, it's like a respected thing. You know, like in theater is such a huge thing over there. So we were like, no, it's the right place to go. So we were like, we'll go there and study. But I loved it. I haven't gotten back into it since I've moved home. Mm. I worked in theatre and stuff all up until the end, you know, when I was in London. But when I moved back to Ireland, I just never got back into it. You should. I know, I'd love to. I do miss it like it was Mm. just a good you know escape like and it used to help me a lot when I was little I think with my self-esteem because I was so shy you know being the little chubby Mm. girl that I always felt like on stage I was like a different person I'm Mm. like I'd let it all out but now I would love to get back into it.
2: Clash to do like they had um I went there my secondary skills school, just school down at Northside Shopping Centre and I went uh, there um for secondary school mm-hmm. and for me watching when I got to fifth and sixth year you were allowed going to go into a different canteen. Oh yeah. So I thought it was really cool um but you'd see the drama students coming in and i used to be in awe of them you know because they were so they were the coolest they were really cool and then so the course in in claustralia is actually a really good course it's a stepping stone for a lot of people and then they go over to the uk but yeah you should get back into it i'd
3: love to i mean it's um, the girl that lives in la she was living in ireland when i first moved home Mm. and we had thought about setting up um a drama school this was before I started working in the bank I was like we'll set up like a drama school like what we used to do and we looked into renting a space and everything but when we kind of put it out there I was like see in Ireland it's very much like a Wednesday evening yeah. or yeah. Saturday morning type yeah. thing and I was like oh, I need a nine-to-five I was like I need to you know be mm-hmm. earning the proper income like I'm a parent so kind of went on the backbone for a little bit then she moved to LA and it just never happened. Like, I'd love to, but I was like, I wouldn't have enough time to commit to it now mm. at this moment. But it's definitely something I'd love to, even if it was just for me, mm. do a little bit of amdrum.
2: But would you love to even do TV presenting or something like that?
3: Yeah, I don't think I'd be a very good TV presenter. <laughs> I don't think I'd be good at presenting, mm. especially not live television. Mm. But, um, yeah, I used to be an extra in First City. Maybe they'll take me back. <laughs> i did glen for a couple of seasons and first
2: i think yeah i remember meeting some of the guys and i was like oh my god
3: you're so famous yeah
2: like hollywood actors there's a few photos going around and like i think i showed paul one of them and he was like what the fuck he was like it's alan he paid it was like one of the first gay men on on irish tv and we were just completely in awe of him like my friends and we got a photo with him, and like a big red larry long head, like horse head on me like my Word husband was like what the fuck I was like i know but i loved it he was gorgeous <laughs> he was gorgeous um and then i just want to finish up and like you're saying about your weight loss journey now so what's next for you the rest of the surgery
3: yeah the rest of the surgeries i'm doing a good bit of um training at the moment so I started, like, a new program with um, Mo, like, the PT stuff. And I'm going to try to change my physique a little bit. Just change things, like, that I'm not that happy with, kind of. Maybe, like, I feel like I've gotten a little bit too muscular. Okay, (laughs) I'd like to kind of tone that down a bit and get a little bit smaller again, but still muscly. Mm. So he's working on a plan like that. But it's always kind of changing. You know, the kind of way I'm still consistent i'm still committed with the gym i still absolutely love the gym it's never mm-hmm. like a chore for me or it's never gotten to that point where i'm like okay mm-hmm. do you know i'm happy now i don't need to do it anymore like i absolutely love training where i train so it's really just the surgeries it's mm-hmm. kind of after the surgeries i'm like and then what well, mm-hmm. do you know like my surgeries will be done. delete my instagram page <laughs>
2: <laughs> no not at all can i ask though i did i might just remember really quickly before i let you go do you have an opinion on the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation?
3: Oh, I was going to put something on about this on Instagram the other day because a few of my friends had said it to me as well. And I was like, I follow that house and have mm, Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, she's very much yes. Johnny's. So, so when you're watching it, it's very easy to be influenced. But um, I mean, from looking at the evidence and from looking at what they've shown so far, I mean, it does, to me, seem to look bad on hers. Mm. You know, I think it's hard because if like if she is making it up or if she is lying like I just think that's really because this court case has been so you know like everywhere it's mm. all over the media and it's, it's been made such a big deal of and like if there isn't if there isn't truth to it I just think it's a little bit of an insult or a little bit of a slap in the face you know, to the people that have been through it mm-hmm. but then at the same time I was like to my friend I I feel like I can't completely say I don't believe her because if that had have been me in that position and I was saying to her I was like Janice I was like I remember I had photograph evidence I had video evidence I thought like this is grand like you Mm -hmm. know once they see that it's but they like they question you so much and they break everything down they really break you down going through stuff to the point where you're questioning yourself being like god maybe I was a bit Mm -hmm. dramatic like Mm -hmm. maybe that wasn't that big of a deal like I was starting to think that way and um I think if someone was, like, to look at it and be like, oh, I don't believe her, she's just like, that would have killed me. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So I feel like it's... I think it's too sensitive to me to have an opinion on. Mm -hmm. But from following it, I do seem... I do feel like it seems to be more, you know, he... It it just seemed like a toxic relationship. And maybe he experienced as much as she experienced, if that makes sense. But I think it's been interesting to watch Mm -hmm. and to unfold. Like, Mm -hmm. I think she will really, you know lose a lot of respect yeah when it comes out that she's lying
2: I think it's just it's good that it's been talked about yeah it doesn't been talked about so I do I do like that one thing I do have to say and I know again I'd probably be murdered for saying this but I do find like some of the ads now that are coming out about domestic violence at one point I did think they were very men heavy in the sense that yeah. it was just oh, the one, I know the one where the man is, gets a slap off the woman and, yeah. and I was like That's crazy that we're actually highlighting domestic abuse right now, but we're highlighting it on women doing it to men.
3: Yeah. I think it's a hard one. I think it's just where they probably feel like because it does happen, you Mm. know, like it is definitely something that happens that maybe it's not shown. I mean, obviously, statistically, it's proven that, Mm -hmm. you know, male violence against women is definitely the more dominant one in the situation. But it's just, I don't know, Mm -hmm. it does happen. So Mm. they probably just can't. Yeah. They yeah, have to share sure
2: it as, as well. well, yeah. And just for anyone, you um, search. Saoirse.
3: Searches women yeah. Okay, so so that big one that you do look quite you know, a I'd bit bits. And then Women's Aid, obviously, would be mm. a big one as well in Ireland. You know, if you're looking for any kind of, there's so many different avenues. I suppose when it comes to domestic violence and your needs, mm. you know, they'd be a great one to go to there's apps and stuff as well that you can get and there's also good um information if you're a friend or a family member that's worried okay because that like i said is a big one if you're concerned of anyone in a certain situation um there's really like a lot of safeguarding like there's you know proper steps to take and they give you the correct information and they'll ask you certain questions about you know what you've seen what you've witnessed and maybe the next best steps going forward I think that's a really handy one to have because I would get a lot of questions
2: okay. about that. Jen, on that note, I'll leave you because I know you'd collect you. character as well. And every <laughs> two of us are like, talk, I like talked to you for hours. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I think yeah. it was a really important conversation. And as I said, if anyone you know, is struggling or needs any help at all, Women's Aid or reach out to your local Women's Refuge, yeah. like Saoirse, um, and so on. I'll tag everything here in any way as well. Um, but thank you.
0: Thanks, Amelia. Thank you.